Lord, open my lips, that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I wonder how we might react if somebody that we kind of knew from a distance, we'd heard about them but had not met, if they came up to us and said, "Um, come on, I'm coming back to stay with you today and uh, you're going to put on a meal for me. Um, Well, we might be a bit put out. Or might we see it as a gift? I guess it would depend on what we knew about the person who had invited themselves home with us. Is it a gift or are we put out? See, the thing about a gift is that it's not just the gift itself. It's the thoughts and the emotions that go into the giving of the gift. The way that the gift is given and the the person who is receiving it. That's what's important about a gift. The gift itself is maybe nice, but was the person really thinking? What were they thinking about when they chose the gift? Um, in my, when I was 21, I, um, I'd gone to visit a French friend of mine in Normandy. Her parents had a house there. We'd met when we were both 15. She was an exchange student with us in the UK. And so we, we kind of, we went backwards and forwards to each other's homes. And um, so I'd worked a little bit to get some pocket money, and my parents had given me a small amount of money um, for while I was there. And so I made my way over from the UK. can't remember if I went by ferry or flew, probably ferry. But anyway, then I took the train into Normandy and another train to this really small town, and then they picked me up. And um, after about 10 days, um, I decided that I was going to go to Paris and look for a job. And uh, so, unbeknownst to my parents, mind you, um, so I got on a train and I had heard I was in a place, I'd done some studies at a a place called the French Institute uh, that was uh, run by the Commerce Department of the French Embassy in London. And so I'd heard about this uh, Portuguese nuns hostel in Paris, which was very, very cheap. So I got there and they had a room. I was sharing with a Portuguese lady who spoke no English. I speak no Portuguese. Neither did she speak any French. And the nuns had very, very limited French also. So I was there. I had enough money um, to buy the Figaro and the Monde to every morning to go through the uh, jobs open uh, part of the papers and, of course, enough to make phone calls, no sales at that point in time, so you go out and use the public phones and keep pushing money into them and enough to get me home again. And before leaving Normandy, I had bought a tub of honey about this big. It was a big tub of honey. Normandy honey is the most delicious. And it was solid honey, so it was not, wasn't runny honey. And I had enough money to buy myself a baguette every day. Um, and that's all I had to live on. So after about three days of just bread... 
I cracked off the lid to the honey, which was a present for my father because he loves honey, and started to scrape very thin layers off the top of the honey pot and had that with my bread. Of course, that diet can make you sick, and it did. And uh, so here am I, dramatically sick, and uh, the nuns are giving me chamomile tea, which to this day, please don't give me chamomile tea. And so um, finally, I, I found a job. I was going to go back for the job, but I had to go home and tell my folks that that's what I was going to do. And so I got home, and I gave my dad this gift very apologetically because um, there'd been about half an inch off of the top that had been just kind of scraped off and already eaten, so I felt bad about giving it to him, but I knew he loved it. And um, he was very gracious and everything. So fast forward to... and I still felt bad about it, though. And for years I did. And, uh, and fast forward to after my dad died... Um, Mummy and I were just talking and reminiscing about that time and, you know, my doing what I did. And, and, uh, and I remembered, I reminded her about this gift and she said, Oh, Sal, you know your dad had to get up and leave so quickly because he was near to tears at the thought that you'd used the last of your money to buy him a gift. It didn't matter that you'd had a little bit of the honey. The fact that you thought of him and you brought it back for him and the fact that you had no other money just meant everything to him. See, it wasn't actually the gift he liked the honey, but it was that it showed how much I loved my dad. And after he died also, in his wallet was a little note I'd written the first week in school that said, I love you, Dad. And evidently it had been taken out a lot because it was now in four separate pieces and completely faded because that was written by a little five- or six-year-old. But that was a gift because it showed me how much my dad loved me and loved that. Zacchaeus has received a gift. He's not been put out by Jesus telling him to come down out of the tree because he's going to go and stay with him today. On the contrary, that's a gift for Zacchaeus. Because Zacchaeus is one of those people who is in cohorts with the conquering people of Rome. And so he is looked down on by his fellow Jews. If that wasn't bad enough, he's actually extorting money from his compatriots. Because Rome would set the tax, but then give the tax collectors full possibilities to add on whatever they wanted to. They could add on, 
um, 10, in our, 10, 20, 30 in our money, dollars, maybe 100. And he'd evidently extorted a lot of money because he was very wealthy. So he was persona non grata amongst his own. Of course, the Roman citizens didn't want anything to do with him because he was one of those conquered people. So he was very isolated. The consumerism of the society had gnawed at his soul and so that his religion and his ethics had completely disintegrated. And Jesus... This holy man, this rabbi, sees him in a tree and says, Hurry up, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to stay with you today. That meant in the eyes of everybody around, Jesus had just given him value. Zacchaeus was valuable in Jesus' eyes. He looked all the way past the externals of his life, of what he had been doing, and he saw a child of God. And he alone could make him clean. What the prophet Isaiah is talking about, washed white as snow, though your sins are scarlet, white as white wool. And so Zacchaeus has heard the Lord's call to him. And in that moment, he says, I'm going to give to the poor, to the oppressed, to the orphans and the widows, 50% of what I own. Such is the gift, the generosity of the gift that Zacchaeus has received from Jesus that he responds in abundant generosity, 50% of all that he owns. And not just that, he's going to go back and find every single person he extorted money from and not just give them back that money, but give them back 400% of that money over an abundance. This is a radical, radical change for Zacchaeus. What was of value to him before, which was money, was no longer of value to him. The generosity that had been shown to him, he likewise turned around and shown to others. Because the Lord our God is always looking past the facade, past all of the sin that infects our life, and to the heart of who we are and who he can make us to be. He alone can do that and bring us back. And he says this was why he came. I came for this. To seek and save the lost. And Zacchaeus was lost in his wealth, in his greed. And he was made whole by Jesus' simple invitation. Do we not live in similar times 
where this draw to a consumer society gnaws at us from all directions. We turn on the TV, you want this, it's better, you want that, it's better. But not only are we consuming things, in the midst of that, we're consuming each other. You just have to turn on the TV. There is so much nastiness out there. Because when you live in a society that has its focus on consuming, then the other person is your enemy because you want to consume more than them. You want to have more than them. So like in Isaiah, God doesn't want empty sacrifices. He wants us instead to be a community that upholds each other and goes out from this community to spread his kingdom rule out into the darkness. It's a difficult season for us. You know, I have had several conversations with parishioners, several, who are just burdened by what is going on. Just discouraged, disheartened, turning on the TV and hearing the vitriol that is coming into our living rooms from the screen. But this reminds us, the Lord is still sovereign. The Lord is still sovereign. Our hope is not in political systems. They will disappoint us. Our hope is not in political parties. They will disappoint us. Our hope is not in politicians. They will disappoint us. But God won't. And his promise is that he will make and a new earth. And that is our hope. So, as overwhelming as it might seem, we are called in our small sphere to do exactly what Zacchaeus did, to be generous with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, and to work God's rule into those areas of our life that we can And as that happens, little by little by little, his reign extends. The life of our community as a church extends God's rule out into the world. When we care for those less fortunate, when we gather in children uh, like the children that we have in the school, like the people who come in need of food in the food bank, like the people in hospital who, for whom we make the chemo caps, like people in nursing homes who need the softness and the comfort of a prayer shawl. Those are all signs 
means that God's way, that God's rule is breaking into the world of principalities and powers of darkness. God is still sovereign and he is the only salvation. There is no other savior and he came to seek and to save the lost. In response to the gift that he received, Zacchaeus responded with great generosity, not only with financial resources, but also with a life submitted no longer to Roman principalities and powers, but to Jesus Christ. If we keep our focus there, we will not be disheartened. We will not be discouraged. For his promises are true, and our hope is sure. Amen. In this uh, 